welcome to Humans of Authenticity, and thank you for choosing my podcast. My name is Lily, and I'll be your host. I'm a Vietnamese Australian living in the US, so you'll hear a lot of different accents in my podcast series. Designed as a blank canvas to weave together a rich tapestry of human experiences and identity, Humans of Authenticity will share many heartfelt conversations with my guests on their stories and how they embrace their authenticity in own forms. And we'll hold firm to who we are, we will be celebrated and liberated. However, the journey towards expressing ourselves authentically often encounters various obstacles. I wonder why. Authenticity will be a buzzword unless we pause and reflect on what it means for us, for individuals like you and me. Join me in these conversations, peel back all the layers and see how authenticity shines through. In each episode, my guests will choose a keyword from a selection of 12, which will be used as the theme of the conversation. These keywords change frequently, so you will only hear the same keyword once. Enjoy the episode today. Joining me today will be Jordan Gottlieb, my dear friend and a colleague. Let's start with your stories. Jordi, can you share three things about you that you love and want to know? Three things about myself that I love. Okay, I love that I am multicultural. I love that I'm disabled and I love that I am a positive person. Can you unpack a little bit about each of these elements? I think there are a lot of stories around this. And as we embrace them, it will start showing the way we are as an individual. Um, sure. So let's start with multicultural. Yeah, it's multicultural. I don't know that that was really the right word choice. You know what? Let me change that. I love that I am a third culture kid. I love that I'm disabled. And I love that I am a positive person. Third culture kid ties into multiculturalism for me. For those who don't know, a third culture kid is someone who spent a majority of their life living outside of their parents' culture and their passport culture. So for me, I grew up, I'm an Australian citizen. My mom is Australian, but I grew up all throughout Asia. Uh, and that's something that I'm very proud of as a biracial person as well. For me, it's been an incredible experience in life, getting to live in so many different countries. But it also had its fair share of challenges, both emotional and social. As a kid growing up, not really knowing where you're from mm -hmm. in terms of not understanding you're Australian, but I've never really grown up in Australia, yeah. so you don't feel too quote-unquote mm -hmm. Australian. And, and really feeling like, oh, am I Korean? Am I Filipino? Am I Chinese? Am I Thai? And that cultural confusion or lack of cultural identity was something that was hard to deal with. But on the other end, I became a cultural chameleon in a sense that now when I'm in those places, I feel more at ease and I can communicate with people to my fullest and I understand those cultures. That's also partly to do with my mom being so encouraging of me not staying in an expat bubble but really going out into the communities and learning the languages and 
sending me to semi-local schools at first before sending me to bigger international schools so that I had those ties to the places that I've lived. Although I don't know where home is, I definitely feel more at home in the Asia region. So that's me unpacking being a third culture kid. Being disabled, I was born with a disability called cerebral palsy. I was born at 27 weeks. I weighed two pounds, 12 ounces, which is just under one kilogram when I was born. I'm actually a twin, but I'm the surviving twin who were born so early. My twin brother did not survive. As a result of our premature birth, I got cerebral palsy. My type of cerebral palsy is basically the part of the brain that controls the fine motor skills was damaged at birth. So I need to use a wheelchair. I'm a wheelchair user. I use a wheelchair for going most long distances. I can walk around my apartment, but that's about it. Growing up with a disability also presented so many challenges, especially living in places where disability is not really talked about or it's more taboo. It could make it a little difficult being disabled. But I really think as I've got older, what I've learned about having a disability is it's not so much what I cannot do because of my physical constraints, but it's more society's perceptions of what someone with a disability can achieve. Being a positive person, I've always had a positive outlook on life despite the certain challenges that I've faced that are, some of them are really big challenges and others are smaller, but I think I've always remained a positive person. I like that about being positive and positive psychology, I think, um, the energy from it. Go back to your stories about a third culture kids. I'm hearing a bit of identity self-doubt in the earlier phase. How do you navigate that and then how do you come out of it? Navigating it, you navigate it in different times or at different phases in life. When you're in international schools and you're going to school with kids who are from everywhere but have lived everywhere, I don't think there's as much of an identity crisis that really kind of you feel it, but then it's not as much as everyone's the same as you. But I really felt it more when I was out of those environments and having to explain to people when they'd ask, where are you from? That was the hardest question for me to answer. Not because I didn't know but like where I was from in terms of my passport country, but because I'd have to give this long-winded answer and people would just look at you like you're some sort of weirdo. Because, well, like, you're Australian, so you should just say Australian. But I don't really know Australian culture that well. I don't feel Australian. I don't really sound Australian. So I think navigating that in the world outside of international schools was always difficult. One way that I overcame that was basically by just saying, I'm from the country that I was last living in to make it easier for them. I think it's all about making it easier for others to understand because it's such a unique experience. But then also coming just to an understanding that, okay, I'm not 100% Chinese, I'm not 100% Korean or Filipino, but I'm just myself. And when I go into those community groups, I can totally integrate myself. For me, I just kind of came to accepting that's just how it was and that other people would not understand. So it was more giving myself tools to better articulate that to other people. Because the experiences are just so unique that a lot of people, and I learned this very quickly, either wouldn't believe your experiences or they wouldn't be able to understand them. And so therefore, in their mind, it couldn't be real. Or they'd be like, 
well, I just don't understand. You're Australian. So just say you're Australian. But it's like if I go to Australia for college, for university, I had to take the international student orientation. I was a domestic student legally, but I was an international student technically because like everyone else, I hadn't grown up there and I didn't know. Yeah, even for people in the countries I've lived in, when they ask where you're from, you'll just say, oh, I'm Australian. But then they'll also be confused because it's like you're speaking perfect Chinese or you're speaking perfect Tagalog and also you're brown. You look more, especially in the Philippines, look more like us. The way I coped with that in those countries is people would just assume I'm from wherever I was living or I'm half. And so I would just let them assume what they wanted. And I think socially that made things so much easier because I also had the disability to overcome. And so, yeah, I think it was navigating it by making it easier for others to understand. And then just fully accepting that was who I was. I was just me. I'm seeking your advice on these particular issues because I find this interesting. We had a few conversations about it already. How important it is from your perspective for an individual to identify themselves with a specific nation or ethnic city or any type of labeling? I think it really depends when you're growing up in a country, regardless of your ethnic background, you take it that culture that's culturally who you become and you have your own unique home cultures. I do think though, we only want to label because people want to other each other. We want to differentiate each other. And so we label, let's say you have Filipino Americans, Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, Middle Eastern American, whatever. They're all American, right? They're all American. I think being able to label oneself is part of being able to be proud of your identity. So I think it is important, but I also think it really depends person to person. I have a friend who is American-Polish, and she was born and raised in China, and she's never, ever lived in America. She went to university in Japan. She's 32 years old this year, 31, I'm sorry, has never lived in America. I can't speak for her, but culturally, she's not really American, but passport-wise, she's American. So for someone like her, how do you navigate identifying yourself? It's hard. It's hard when you're in those situations, but I feel like if you've grown up in one place or, you know, you've moved or immigrated to one place from somewhere else, you become what you are, dash, where you are, as opposed to kids like myself who grew up all over the place. You don't know where the hell, but anywhere, you don't know where you're from because you just lived in so many places. But it also, it also really depends on experience too. Thanks for that. Now let's go to your second keywords about yourself, so about your disability. And you mentioned that you had overcome some social society perceptions before. Can you give me some examples? Definitely. Definitely. So having a disability, and again, it depends on what environment you're in. Having a disability, people tend to associate a physical disability with a cognitive disability. So just because I use a wheelchair, people may assume that I am uneducated, that I am dependent on everyone, that I am stupid or that I'm childlike or so many things. There's so many perceptions people have of people with disabilities to the point where it feels like a lot of the time you're constantly having to slay 
like picking up a sword and like slashing all these dragons. And if you put down the sword, you're going to get consumed or eaten by those dragons. So it'd be like a 20 hour podcast just talking about all the perceptions people have of people with disabilities and how that impacts how we can go about our daily lives. It's can be incredibly isolating because before anyone gets to know anything about you, they've assumed so much about what you can do or what you can achieve or how you are as a person just based on the fact that you have a physical disability. For me, growing up throughout the Asian region where in some countries it was better than others, that disability was very taboo. So as a middle school, elementary school student, I'd go to the mall and people would be scared of me. In some places, they would shield their kids away from me. People would point or stare. And so when you're a young kid going through that, it's probably not the easiest thing. But it's also always kind of being the only disabled person in a space. It was difficult because you could get bullied or whatever it is. As I got older, it was more realizing how I was really being held back or pulled back by people just assuming that I can't do something. You know, even up until I was 25, working in the same office space as my mom, people would go to talk to her and ask her if something was okay with me or whatever it was. Listen to talking to me as an adult that I am. Going through life where people kind of just perceive you to be one way and constantly having to prove them wrong can be really difficult. But I've learned now the best way to do that is just by having a presence and educating people by showing them what I can do and just by living my life to the fullest. I have two follow-up questions from that. Um, the first one, hearing those examples and the struggling that you've been through, what should we have done differently to make it easier for you? That's a good question. I think first is just looking at a person as a person. That's a great question. But I honestly don't think that society really thinks about what they can do to make someone's life with a disability easier. I think that they're continuously thinking about how to make disabilities more manageable for them or more comfortable for them to deal with. And I think that getting out of that mindset would be a way to help people with disabilities really kind of flourish more. I don't know. It's hard. I don't know what people could have done to make things better because people think the way they think for certain reasons and I think it all just starts with having exposure I really think it's exposure I think the only way to make things better for people with disabilities in terms of people's perceptions of us is by having strong examples of people with disabilities in media and in decision-making positions and I think that's the only way change can come about but I don't really think there was anything anyone could have done to make it better because it just is how it is right I mean, I'm not saying it's like the most tragic thing in the world, but I think that socially, it, it all comes down to people being just exposed. In terms of me, when I was younger, dealing with social stigmas of being disabled, there was really nothing anyone could have done to make anything easier because it just is how it is. What was your second question? The second one, what I was hearing from your examples before was there were a period when you feel that you are kind of excluded from the society. And then there was a second phase where you embrace it and you found that the best way to overcome it is to be present and to educate people. So I'd love to hear from your 
stories, what trigger you to realize that change? Great. That's a great question. For me, I guess I've always gone through life, I should just say, for starters, by being very positive. I understand this is my lot in life. I don't cry about it. I don't feel sad about it. I've always gone about life being incredibly positive and seeing the impact that positivity has on those around me, like all my classmates at school, being exposed to someone with a disability, being someone's first friend with a disability, the things that they learned through that and what changes there, how that changes the way they then look at the world. The biggest changes in terms of how, like when I made the shift that, okay, I need to be the change that I want to see was when I started my career in fashion. Entering an industry that was so looks-based while living in a country that my disability is so taboo. I remember going to events and parties and no one would talk to me because I was sitting in my wheelchair and I would just be sitting there alone and no one would be talking. I'd try to talk to people and they would just be so scared or they'd look so uncomfortable that they wouldn't know how to deal with it. And so you would just find yourself sitting alone. One day I decided to do an experiment where I would get out of my wheelchair and sit in a regular seat. And then people would actually come up and start talking to you. And be like, hi. And then I realized, wow, so it's seeing the wheelchair that makes people so uncomfortable. I'm going to need to throw it in their face to the point where people see it so much that it becomes normal. And that was something that also a designer friend told me. He said, you need to continue to have a presence to the point where it's so normal that they don't even think about it anymore. And so. I started doing that by opening a fashion website used in my style. And I started to take photos of myself in my wheelchair. I got a photographer and I started creating all this content surrounding that. Not only was I pushing it out public, but I was also showing myself that my wheelchair was beautiful because before I never realized, I never thought my chair was beautiful. I always would crop my Facebook photos from the torso up and all that, not because I was ashamed, but because I just didn't think it looked good. So. By creating my fashion site, I was able to one, learn the beauty of my disability. And I think once I fully embraced the beauty of my disability, I was able to then go full force into pushing it out there as much as I could, attending every event that I could, attending every runway show that I could, taking photos and uploading them on Instagram and my website and all that stuff as much as I could to show you both that I'm here and I'm not going anywhere and you have to just deal with it. And I think for me, that was one of the main times that I was like, this is the only way that I'm going to break perceptions of disability, first of all. But I can also use this platform to encourage and inspire other people. And what I love about this story that you're sharing is that I've always believed and the tagline of this podcast series as we embrace our authenticity we will be celebrated and liberated. And I can really see that coming out of your story. So perfect demonstration for this podcast season. That gives me the good segue to move to our second items of this episode. I gave you 12 keywords to choose from. Which word did you select? I selected communicate. Why do you select communicate? Because I feel like more people need to learn how to communicate better in this world. And I think communication is key. So that's why I chose communicate. I have three follow-up questions from this for you. From your own perspective and your own experience, what does 
the word communicate means for you? To me, communication means, or being able to communicate means that you're able to deliver a message clearly so that someone can understand. You're able to, I mean, because communication, communicate is such a big word, communicating our feelings. You're able to hopefully engage with someone to, oh, it's hard, it's hard. what does communication mean to me? Communication to me is being able to properly engage with someone to the, to the fullest extent possible. So being able to truly engage with someone and speak to them in a way that also, yeah, truly engage. Unpack that a little bit for me and you can give an example if you are comfortable with that. So when you say properly engage with someone, what does that look like in practice? Oh, I think in my generation, people don't know how to communicate with one another. And I think because of my unique life experiences as a third culture kid and also as someone with a disability, I've had to learn how to communicate in so many different ways with people. Living in places where maybe someone's English is not their first language, learning how to communicate in a way that both parties feel understood when having a conversation, even though I may not be able to speak for example, a language, or they may not be able to speak the same language fully, being able to truly communicate with each other so there's no misunderstandings, and also being able to, in general, communicate about my disability with people. Let me think of a good example. A good example for me would be, let's say, learning how to deliver a message, learning how to deliver something to somebody. That's how I would define communication. Learn Whether that's learning how to explain to someone about my disability, learning how to properly speak to people and understanding how to change my communication style in order to ensure someone understands. As Australians, we usually say, you know, a lot, right? Oh, you know, oh, you know, you know. But then when you're in places where maybe English isn't the first language and you say, you know, and someone hears the word you, they think you're talking about them. So I'll then say, instead of saying, oh, V, you know how you go over here and you blah, 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 blah. I will say, oh, V, you know, there you go. You know, V, the best way to get there is by going this way. Instead of saying, you know, you just need to go over there. Or you know how you pick up the lighter and then you just do this? That's going to confuse someone who doesn't speak the same way that you do so it's like learning how to navigate communication styles through different cultural contexts there you go describe communication learning how to navigate communication styles through different cultural contexts does that answer your question <laughs> it, it does yes but i want to know a bit more specific so let's drive this way think about the last week or so or think about last month in your life when was the last time that you truly engaged with someone? I think it would be the other day at the park. A little boy came up to me and said, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? Or why are you in that? And I always, no matter what I'm doing, I always stop and explain to children because I think it's important. And... I was able to sit there patiently with this little boy. Obviously, his mom gave me permission. I said, was it okay? And she said, sure. And I said, do you have any questions? So he asked his question again. And I was able to answer his question in a way that he would, but then being able to allow him 
to continue to ask maybe the same question multiple times or ask the question in different ways or more questions about my disability. I was, that's when I felt like I was truly engaging with him because he left with an understanding of wheelchairs not being a toy, but what a wheelchair is and why someone uses a wheelchair. And I think that's the last time I was able to engage with someone in the last week. But being able to communicate with him and engage with him and understand, because I think the key to communication is looking at intention versus action when we speak. The way someone says something may come across as rude, but I think people need to look beyond themselves and look at the intention. This little kid's intention obviously was not to offend me by asking what happened to you. Their intention is to learn because they were curious. So being able to understand that, I was able to then communicate with them in a way that let them understand me and where I was coming from. And I think by just engaging with that little boy, I was able to then change the way they may see disability in the future or the way that they will then engage with other people with disabilities. Because I understand the way that I communicate with people surrounding my disability will then decide how they then approach my people in my community after me or in the future, right? So it's my responsibility to communicate in a way that and engage in a way that they felt safe and they feel comfortable and they don't feel like they're being attacked for asking a question that they are curious about. That's really cool. What I like about that example is well, all of the good things that you already mentioned, but also you're very open-minded about that and you don't prejudge anything before it happens. The other thing I really like about this example is that when you share your insight and experience with this little boy, not only you educate him, but you also show his mom different perspective on disability. So it has follow-on effects to that story. I think I developed my communication style just by being disabled and people always asking questions like that. And when I was younger, I like a little kid, I used to make me a little sad. But then I realized very early on that it was they're asking because they're curious. And then also living in places where even adults will ask questions that can seem quite confronting, learning how to navigate and explain it to them as well. Like in Shanghai, a few years ago, I was in an elevator and a man just said to me, what's wrong with you? I was like, oh, and I knew how to communicate with him though based on my cultural experiences of living in China. I knew what to say to him to make him understand. Just like in the Philippines, if someone asked me what happened, I know the exact sequence of words I need to use to someone to explain that I was born with a disability. And learning how to communicate my disability in different cultural contexts, I think made me a good communicator. Right. Now I want to flip the point on these conversations. Do you have an example of a bad communicator? Most millennials. <laughs> Can we have an example? Sure. When I'm engaging with people my age, I really see that whether it's dating, whether it's social, whatever it is, I think a lot of people don't know how to properly communicate with each other. An example would be in an office situation or a work situation or a social situation where I've sat around and I've heard people complaining about someone. Oh, well, you know, this happened and 
you know, they're really annoying me and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, but I'm sorry, have you actually stopped to tell them what they're doing is annoying you? No. Well, then how are they supposed to know and how are they then going to make that change if you haven't communicated to them? And you don't have to communicate in an aggressive way, but just communicate, right? Where, like This is where ghosting came about, right? When people would rather ghost someone than communicate, I'm not into you. They would rather unfollow or unfriend someone than communicate why they felt uncomfortable. As a society now, we've gone, instead of me confronting the situation, and it doesn't mean you have to be confrontational, but instead of being open about how you're feeling about something, we tend to just run away from it and don't want to deal with it and then don't communicate with that person how we're feeling. But if you don't communicate how you're feeling, how is the other person supposed to atone for having you feeling the way you're feeling if they've made you feel a certain way. All the time, I see a lot of people just not communicating with each other and just not learning how to properly say to someone, I'm feeling this way because of this, or what you're doing is making me feel very uncomfortable. Or Yeah, I've just noticed a lot of people just can't communicate with each other. That's why I chose that word. It frustrates me that people can't communicate. So with that thought in mind, what is the one thing that you reckon that we should know or we should learn to be a good communicator? Or just just the one? One word? Can be one word, can be one new skills, can be a book, can be a new thing that we change, work on ourselves or improve so that we can become a good communicator. Introspection. Can you elaborate more for me? I think... When we look into ourselves and understand ourselves, we'll be able to then communicate with people better. Uh, We'll be able to better communicate with people. Looking at where we fall short, but also where we excel. Because I think all of human beings are all egotistical. And so we all look at ourselves. So being able to truly understand ourselves, both our good and bad points, will help us be able to communicate with other people better. Also, I had another word, learn. Being able to learn about who you're communicating with and being able to then think about things from their perspective as well will also help you be able to communicate with somebody. The amount of people I've seen when I'm overseas who just think that people are going to understand them. I'll give you an example. In Jakarta once, a man said to me, I'm sorry I don't speak English. And I said to him, no, 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 no. I'm sorry that my Indonesian is not good enough to communicate with you because I'm living in your country. You should never be apologizing to me for not being able to speak my language when I'm living in your country. I should be trying my hardest to be able to speak better Bahasa Indonesian and learning how to properly communicate with you, not just linguistically, but culturally. Because cultural communication is one thing that a lot of people don't think about. When we think about how people communicate with each other, we're not thinking about, oh, English isn't Jordi's first language. Maybe he isn't picking up on the nuances. But because I speak English and I sound like I speak good English, for example, people won't even think about the fact that Jordi could be from somewhere else and is not picking up on the cultural nuances that are a part of this of how we're communicating with each other because cultural communication is, I think, the most important communication. When we learn how to culturally communicate with others, 
I think so many misunderstandings would disappear. Um, I've always very interested in cross culture cross cultural communications, and what I like about this example is it's not only the external aspect of it, as in picking up a new language, but it's also the internal realizations where you say we have to understand ourselves, not only our own culture, but the person who are listening and who we are communicating with, their culture and their perspective as well. Yeah, because I think people, one thing I've learned, you know, living in all these countries is people communicate in different ways, verbally and non-verbally, right? I think in the West, and I can't generalize, I've only lived in Australia and America, but I feel like at least here, people are a lot more confrontational with their style. I'll give you actually an example. I have a perfect example of this. I'm not going to say what country this is in, but I was working in a country for fashion and I introduced an American photographer to a designer. And this American photographer's communication style, because they wanted an opportunity, was to be very direct and very pushy and very blah, blah, blah. Whereas this person's communication style in their culture is not so direct. It's very indirect. You do things indirectly rather than directly. And so it caused a big misunderstanding because this American photographer who was living in this country could not see beyond their own communication style and, and understand the communication style of where they were living. And so the way they were interacting with people in that place was to just be like they were to people where they were from. Whereas it just didn't work because it wasn't how that person communicated. Um, and so things can kind of go awry. Another example is when I work with brands as someone in fashion, part of my job is to be that middle person for some brands in Asia. The foreign buyer or media or whoever it is may just see that person's responding in English and then think that they're able to totally communicate with that said designer. And I was talking to a designer about this because they asked me a question and I did not know the answer to the question. So I told them, ask the buyer what they want, ask them what this means. And the person said to me, no, I can't because I don't want to look like a novice. It's such a perfect example, but then I said to them, I understand in your culture, you think by seeking clarification, it makes you look like you don't know what you're talking about. And so that designer would rather not seek clarification to save face. However, by not seeking clarification and not asking, they're not going to be able to deliver on what the design or what the buyer wanted. And so therefore that opportunity would have been lost, right? So because they're not going to clarify because they don't want to lose face, the buyer wouldn't know that because the buyer doesn't understand that culture. The buyer is just going to think they're not interested or they, they've lost or they're just not going to respond to me. They're not going to know why. My job as someone in the middle was if I was working with that brand, I would have been the one to clarify for on behalf of that person. And then I'd be able to then deliver the message back to that designer in a way that they would understand so that both parties got what they wanted. But the point of this story is how two different cultural communication styles or ways of engagement came about and how that causes so much confusion or friction that's unbeknownst to both parties because they don't understand how each other communicate. And I've seen this happen so many times before where I've been places and the buyers will be talking about this, 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 and this, or not just buyers, but foreign stakeholders will be talking about this, 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 and this, and let's do this, 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 and this. But they're not picking up on the fact that when the person's not answering them, that means no. In some countries, 
when people don't say anything, it means no, because they're not going to be so forward and just say no to you. By not answering, that's the way of saying no. But they don't know that. They haven't heard a no. In America, a yes is a yes, a no is a no. Tell me what you want. But in other places, people may not be going to say no. Can you see how a conflict could come about? Where one person's expecting a straight-up answer, but the other person culturally is not going to give you a no, they're just not going to answer you. Yeah. And so... I think what's interesting is as technology advances a lot more to assist us to be more connected, the other thing that I want us to keep in mind is we now need to be a lot more cultural savvy so that we can connect with others, not only on the language, but like you said, on the cultural, interpersonal elements of the individual as well, so that they can break down the message and deliver the message at the end of the day. Yeah. I think we are getting to the end of the session. So two more questions left. What's next for you? Next for me in terms of life? Like in the next 12 months, what's the new plans for you? What do you have in mind? Are you working towards something new? Definitely. I'm working towards having my company become more successful to the point where I can be earning good income through my company and being able to fully integrate back into fashion. I have so many goals I want to achieve. I want to get my consulting off the ground or recovering after COVID. I want to get signed to a new modeling agency so I can continue to expose people to disability through fashion on a larger scale. I want to do more collaborations with designers. I want to do a capsule collection with a brand. There are so many things that I want to do. And so I think for me, what's next is a full immersion back into fashion over the next 12 months. That's a lot of a lot of elements on your plate. Ensure that you can get there at the same time, hold strong to your authentic self. I think just by staying true to myself, right? I've learned now not to compromise who I am for other people. And I've also got a lot of revelations, like personal revelations. Like now I know that I realize I no longer have to worry about making my disability more accommodating for other people and, and fully being assertive that, that it's, you know, why should I do that when people need to learn how to accommodate for disability, right? You know, within reason. Also, really understanding where I am right now, being living in America, and knowing how to navigate Americans, and just by knowing who I am and knowing what I love, and just by being me, the best version of myself. I don't need to impress anybody. I don't need to change myself to fit into anyone's mold. I think I'm just going to be successful by being me. And if you like me, you like me. And if you don't like me, you don't like me. And I think that I no longer care about being loved by everyone i think those who gravitate towards me will gravitate and those who vibe, don't vibe with me won't vibe with me and that's fine and just by being myself and just by being me and if you like me you like me if you don't you don't thank you and i think there is a lot of wisdom in that so last question for you if you are going on a dream vacation tomorrow what is the one item that you take with you and why I can only take one item. The millennial in me, like, well, the young kid in me would say my phone. My phone. Because it has everything in it. I would take my phone. So that's the one I Okay. Else. All right. Cool. 
I can do everything with it. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Drop your thoughts in the comment section. I'd love to hear your take on the chosen keyword. Have a lovely time and thank you again for spending time with humans of authenticity. Until next time.